I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that gets behind the scenes of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today, we're heading to the digital world and the journey the orchestra has been on during the COVID-19 pandemic. What's it like to perform for a virtual audience and how do you film an orchestra? It's going to be so interesting. We've heard references to the experiences during lockdown and so now we really get to see behind the scenes. We're joined by the Chief Executive of the LPO, David Burke, Kate Oswin, a first violinist in the LPO, and Nathan Prince, who is the Creative Director of Intersection Studios. Great to have you here, David and Nathan, and welcome back, Kate. It's great great to be here. Hi. Well, David, I'll start with you. Take me back to 2020. This is a time when we're allowed to go back. (laughs) It'll be okay. Uh, When did you decide to create video performances of the orchestra? It was a unique time. We've never filmed anything in that sort of way before. We've never been able to have an empty hall and and play. And we thought, actually, how do we make the most of this? How do we turn an awful situation into something really interesting and creative and positive. So COVID hit, was it March 11th, we was our final concert. I think 11 days later, we did our first filmed experience. It was a string quartet with Anne-Sophie Mutter and three members of the orchestra, uh, which they filmed at home on their iPhones. There was a brilliant tech moment where one of them couldn't upload it, so I ended up driving to a car park to meet someone else and sort of passing over a phone. Uh, <laughs> such was a level of technical competence back then. It's been a journey. Um, Absolutely. So that was the first point. I think when we could start to get players together in June of last year, actually we, we put on three or four concerts mainly just to see to get players back together. And we thought if we're doing that, we may as well film it. And mm. it had a really good response. So that was sort of phase two. And then Around that time, we were starting to look forward to September when we'd normally restart the season. And we had all these concerts lined up with the prospect of not having an audience. And we said, well, we should still go ahead as much as we can, but film them. Um, And that's when we said, but we want to make sure the quality is high as it can be and do it in a really interesting, creative way. And that's when we started talking to people, including Nathan. And so September was the final iteration, so to speak. So you found Nathan and Intersection Studios. And how did that conversation go? I mean, did you show him your your masterpieces on the iPhone first? Or did you sort of go in with a clean sheet and say, how do we approach this creatively? Yeah, I think that might scare him off. <laughs> um, <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> yeah. So we had met probably three or four years prior to that, when we were first looking at digital work full stop and we met the, the amazing creative brain that is Nathan. He had lots of ideas. And so when we were looking at how to film and we were like, well, again, we want to do something different. It, it's got to stand out and be special. And so we just asked Nathan what he thought. Well, he'll explain better, but he went away, did some research, looked what was out there, not just from the orchestral world, but also in a broader setting and, and gave a pitch, which we all went, actually, that's really exciting. And that sort of sold it, sold it to us straight away. Well, now we're taking the journey. So thank you very much, David. You've taken us along really nicely. And then comes Nathan (laughs) with Intersection Studios. So what led your creative direction? The idea of filming a concert felt really passive to me and kind of suggests that you're just observing from afar. Mm. And we kind of felt that, you know, what do you give an audience that may have a season ticket or that are very loyal and, and, and have the experience of, sitting in the hall versus an audience that geographically maybe, I don't know, you know, 
the other side of the world, different ages and what have you. And it felt like that could be the real key, like how do we create an experience? So, and I guess a kind of production value that's fitting for a world-class orchestra. And that was it. We, we kind of started with 13 shows and I really looked at two things, which I'm sure will come up in conversation, but I suppose one being the camera language of how, how you film an orchestra. Yes. And the other is how do you create a show visually that is engaging for an hour, an hour and a half when you're just watching a screen? Because Absolutely. when you're in the hall, there's a lot to look at and just feel. But when you're looking at a screen, you know, I think it demands more of your attention if there's not the kind of cinematic aesthetic really to draw you in. Had you worked with an orchestra before and when you, even though you had been speaking with David, when the call finally came, did it feel like a project that you'd ever done before? I've always been involved with music. So I've worked with the Heritage Orchestra once before, but not filmed them as working on a show that they were involved with and I'm the creative director for Damon Albarn's new project as well and there are 20 classical musicians involved with that but still you know I think the kind of imposter syndrome of filming an orchestra suddenly you know is fine in theory but when you're there in the hall there's a lot of technicality of course like capturing the breadth and the depth and layering of all the instruments that are being played is incredibly difficult but at the same time you know it felt like it's perhaps time to do something mm. a bit different i think it's really interesting watching um the the two cultures collide especially with with london orchestras that they are so time is so precious like every moment is sort of you you start bang on 10 30 you finish at 1 30 and every second is taken up, even if there's a break, each section is talking and working and working on things. And film works at a slightly different pace in a more traditional thing. And it's like, actually, we've just got to wait five minutes while we've got the camera set. We've got to wait while the lighting's set. Yes. And all those sort of things. It was really interesting to watch, actually. I remember getting very emotional when I saw uh, one of the performances where the orchestra and the performers were in the seats and how it was all sort of flipped around the other way. And... It allowed me as a viewer just to get a little bit emotional and just process what we were actually experiencing here. Kate, did you feel that during those performances, it was about more than the music and what the audience might be taking from it? Oh, definitely. I mean, especially for me, because my family, they're living in New Zealand, you know, and when these concerts first started coming out, they were in lockdown and under restrictions. So I know for them how how hugely uplifting all of these concerts have been and kind of helping with those feelings of loneliness and isolation, as well as the kind of physical, you know, I'm on the other side of the world and in the middle of a pandemic and just being able to see me on the screen and be like, she's still eating, she's okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, exactly. And had they been able to see you perform live before in the LPO or was this their first experience of seeing you at work? First time. They haven't seen me play in an orchestra since I left New Zealand. Oh, so, wow. What, was, yeah, that, what was that conversation like when they saw your first performance? 
Oh, I think they're our biggest fans, honestly. <laughs> They've watched, they, they're on top of everything. My dad will have already read the program for the next concert before we even started rehearsals. <laughs> but he's so on top of it all. That is brilliant. <laughs> and I guess technically, David, you are sort of communicating with the diehard LPO fans and also introducing to a new audience. I mean, who was watching? You get to see all, the, all of the figures and things behind the scenes. Who was watching? Well, again, that was what was really exciting because we, we didn't know this is new. So we partnered with Marquee TV, uh, who was sort of an online culture platform, who had never done classical music before. We went, well, let's just try this. And it was great. I think that 78% people were new to the platform. The largest audience were 18 to 35-year-olds, which we really weren't expecting. Brilliant. 40% were in the US. So there was whole swathes of people that might have listened to us on audio recordings, but had never seen the orchestra and a huge new audience that we're, we're starting to engage with. So that was really exciting. And particularly the younger demographic, I think is, it really encouraged us to, to keep going with this. And then the other side of this is that also, we have the full concerts, of course, but we take short form bits for social media and they get thousands of hits. Our education team who, during this period, we're doing online courses with people in care homes or people who were homeschooling uh, children and things. And they were using this content there. Um, so people we've had relationships, they've now got such high quality content of the LPO to, to share. And they're sort of seeing uh, videos of players that they see in workshops on stage doing the performance. So it's been, there's all these extra add-on benefits of it that we weren't expecting. And so, David, having spoken to Nathan and hearing how he speaks so creatively about the lighting and the experience of the viewer, how did you then communicate that with the musicians in the orchestra? I think, to be honest, probably badly. Um, <laughs> we, we were just focused on getting people into the hall for the yes. first time uh, and social distancing and uh, testing. And then on the day, we brought Nathan in and they could see, obviously, everyone knew it was going to happen. They could see the that the camera's being set up and, and a lot more lights than they would used to. But Nathan came to the front of stage and he spoke to the players a bit beforehand and just tried to set the scene. Amazing. I can see Kate nodding there. You remember the moment. Yeah, I'm remembering. <laughs> <laughs> and so having gone from a sort of a smaller production to now lights and camera angles around, what was your feeling? Because actually... I don't know about you, but when you're performing to a live audience, it's for the moment. It's it's for the people in the hall. But this is everlasting. This is forever. Was there a different feeling in the way that you were playing? I'm not sure. I, the thing that I remember most about that kind of the first kind of filming day that we did was kind of walking out on stage and it's so dark everywhere. Ah. That's the thing that I remember the most. Because normally you walk out on stage and, you know, the stage lights are quite bright and white and the audience is the ones in the dark. But all of a sudden we were in pretty close to darkness a lot of the time with fogging around <laughs> um, to pick up all of the coloured lights that they were using. And so that, that took a bit of getting used to. And in terms of reading <laughs> your music as well, was that a different, a different feeling? I think that was a bit of an ongoing saga that we had. <laughs> Practicality versus creativity. Exactly. How bright can we get our stand lights without it interfering with the creative vision behind it all? I'm seeing Nathan nodding now. I'm seeing where it's all happening. Yeah. So Nathan, that leads me to your creative choices now. You spoke about uh, camera language you, and we're hearing a lot about the, the lighting. What was the direction you decided to go in? 
I mean, it's worth mentioning that I partnered with a longtime collaborator of mine, Nick Gray, on the lighting. So he was the lighting director. And I suppose it was a time to punctuate with experimentation, with breaking new ground. But you were working with kind of solid light forms, so using a lot of fog, using a lot of colour, and I suppose moving away from the beige feel that wooden beige lit feel and I always thought you know it's so bright it's like all the lights are on if you were in your living room it would be you know there are no shadows anywhere and all the lights are on (laughs) and and we just thought you know we need to kind of break with that tradition really and I think that it just felt like if we don't break new ground here then we're never going to be able to really Mm. um and I think probably what what saved the players were so happy to be back together again and play even if they could (laughs) barely see and they were being blinded by (laughs) shafts of light you know (laughs) I think also perhaps at the beginning I mean we we designed over 90 different lighting looks so there wasn't one piece of music that was the same and we just tried to tie everything back to this idea of orchestral colour. In the discourse of writing around classical music, often people would talk about these orchestral colours and then there was no colour to speak of. It felt like, what about the visual element? What can we do? Let's really push that. So then, David, were you involved a little bit more in the creative and sort of bringing those stories through to Nathan, knowing what the programme was going to be? No, lesser. Often, like Nathan would do us uh, go away and do his research first, and I think I'm very much supportive of just letting the creative be creative and not get in the way. Nice. One of the things at the start as well that Nathan said, which really resonated with me, is making a feature of the hall. It's a beautiful hall, yes. actually. There's some great architecture, and rather than shy away of the fact that there's no audience, which we all felt so keenly back then, we're sort of well make a virtue of it, and. Actually, even with the camera shots, particularly in some of the early days, there were shots where he would just go off and there'd be a moment of just, they'd catch a ray of light, light in one of the boxes with a bit of the haze and go, it's just beautiful, just beautiful images and taking advantage of doing that. And Nathan, you were speaking about sort of your choice of camera angles and lighting. Were you aware at the time that maybe you would appeal to a, a quite a modern and younger audience with your style? Up until now, it's really touched upon the design of the show and the lighting and the colour, but really the camera language and the way that it was captured, even that word, thinking about how it's captured rather than just how it's filmed, mm-hmm. like I said before, feels much more kind of proactive. And, and really, that was probably the most powerful thing because there was so much instinct involved in the sense that we assumed that putting cameras here would be better and putting cameras there would be better. <laughs> but what it did, I think one of the things that, that we've kept is that I wanted the cameras to be in the orchestra. I didn't want to be looking from afar with long lenses. Mm. I thought that's going to make a big difference being at eye level. We've got more room. And actually, even with now with a full stage, we're still doing it. But it's subtle, but there's this new intimacy, which when I wrote it, I thought, well, I was just hoping for this new intimacy. But in seeing it, it kind of stopped you in your tracks. These glances, you just feel like you're in there. 
And I guess you were quite lucky in a way, thinking about silver linings and all of that. But at that time, it was less members of the orchestra on stage at any one time. And of course, they were socially distanced to sometimes two metres in, in those early stages. So I guess you had more manoeuvrability, if you like, to really get in there and be a part of, of the musicians grouping. Absolutely. And, and it wasn't just having more room. It was, you know, due to the two metre, which allowed us to use roaming camera so it just meant that the camera was kind of breathing and it felt quite human and you could just feel that it wasn't on a tripod and it meant that we could find happier accidents really and and just feel it out particularly at the beginning and just connect deeply to what was being played and the humanness of the orchestra and of the players there were more obvious things that we did that were slightly more direct filming backstage filming the conductor walking onto stage and even then doing that in just off speed in slow motion slightly so that it felt quite dreamy just I suppose felt like a pure experience like it did kind of take you away into this other world and show you something that you hadn't really seen before not with that kind of intimacy anyway. I guess for the viewer, Kate, it's lovely. You know, you're really getting a different experience of the orchestra. You're seeing the hall in a way you've never seen it lit before. This is great. I've heard Nathan mention fog earlier. I let it pass, but I'm going to bring it up again now. (laughs) What sort of uh, compromises did the musicians have to make for this? Well, I wouldn't necessarily use the word compromises, but there was certainly a lot of kind of adapting to this kind of new normal and all the new testing and mask wearing and one-way systems and all of that before we've even sat down in our chair, you know. The social distancing was probably the biggest thing to get used to because I normally am sitting on the very edge of the stage. So, you know, for me to the trombones who sometimes were all the way up in the by the organ console, you know. I, I don't know what that distance is, but that's a <laughs> really a long, long way. way. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the moments that you remember having to really adjust yourself and your style of playing? Well, for me, the whole thing was basically just a big guessing game because I joined the orchestra in August. That's right. So I was coming into a section that I couldn't hear and a lot of the time couldn't see because we were in in so much darkness (laughs) and just just praying basically that I was, you know, matching articulation and coming in in the right place and, and blending and all of these things, just hoping for the best. David, what was it like running a season during COVID and what were you hoping to achieve with the videos and the audience that you were trying to get to see them? It was a a unique situation where you had the opportunity to create this work but beyond that there was no givens there was no expectations to some extent it was how can we what can we do with this so it flipped the creativity of the team in the office and and, and on the stage and, and, and Nathan, um, in a completely different place to where we would normally think. Yes. And whereas normally we're used to our process and this is what we want to get and these are our targets for ticket sales. This was, no one's done this before. So we've no idea what the audience will be, but let's just create something beautiful and work our hardest to make sure an audience finds it. And, and that's what we, we, we achieved. And with your business hat on at the time, uh, were you looking at other orchestras and trying to gauge the temperature? And I know that, you know, the way you were thinking creatively was so different. But were you keeping an eye on other orchestras and seeing what was happening at the time or just doing you? 
We were slightly aware, but actually you don't do too much of that because it could take you away from where you're heading. And I think it's things actually partnering with Marquee and we committed all of our programs to, to the one platform because actually we thought it'd be easy for our audience. Once they worked out how to get on and how it worked, they knew exactly where to go every Wednesday night for an LPO concert. But you're looking at other platforms and going, is this, is this the right thing? You, you should always double back and, and, and check and, and learn. Well, from the start, we saw the first one. As soon as we got the first edit of, of, the, of Ed's first concert from Nathan, it was like, yeah, this is right. This is beyond what we could have expected. And the audio, and I should, we should say Andrew, who, who recorded all the audio, has done all our recording, most of our recordings for years. So the, the orchestra know him really well. And it was really, really important to have somebody that they trust. And that in itself was quite different. Often you get a team that together that are used to working audio and visual together, but to bring Nathan in with a separate audio company and then get the, the sound quite right was another process that was new and different and a bit of an experiment, but it all well, largely worked. I mean, we got it, it all to work. And how much did you have to sort of work alongside with the, the sound recording, Nathan? Because you, you've described that intimate feeling and wanting to feel a part of the music, but that also has an effect on the way that we hear the sound as well, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, really, I guess a shout out to the wider team because we've had a couple of editors and, and particularly the last couple of seasons, Dragos has an amazing musicality and craft to what he does. And one of the things that we put in place that I felt like I, could, I had taken it as far as I could in the kind of vision for what we were doing. And we put someone else alongside me called Sonia Lovett, who's a live camera director who reads score. So we have a score reader from the LPO and Sonia and I. And between the three of us, we really captured those kind of nuances. And particularly with a focus on the audio, I think we've kind of found this groove between doing something new but with real craft and David tell me a bit about the logistics I mean Kate was saying at one point you you're wearing the masks people had to be tested any sort of experiences that you can share with me about just getting the musicians to the stage uh, was that quite difficult the one that I remember quite firmly was because we were filming concerts and actually going back to something Nathan said earlier we one of the things we said to players right from the start we're not filming concerts we're creating concerts for film and it shifted the mindset of what we were trying to do, which is quite helpful when it came to trying to get Vladimir over at the end of the first season when he couldn't have come over as a conductor, but he could get an exemption to come over as a film star. So the, the series was registered with the BFI as a film series. I love this. And somebody hadn't obviously worked out how that had happened because on the day of his first rehearsal, we had the police turn up who thought that he'd turned up and come overseas without the appropriate visa requirements. <laughs> I mean, of course, it was all board and legit and straightforward, but there was a moment of, yes, this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. There was a few seat of our pants moments for sure, where we just, <laughs> so that's what the COVID time did for all of us. It meant that we had to roll with it. And when you look back and think how many we filmed, considering it wouldn't have taken much for the whole production to be paused, really. It was amazing that so many happened, so many concerts happened. And Kate, have you got used to the cameras being there, the creative lighting and the direction? Uh, is it sort of almost normal now? Yeah, it was quite strange um, 
I think it was last week we did our first shoot with live audience in and it was quite strange being in that hybrid kind of environment where we still had it wasn't as dark as it had been but it was still darker than it would be in a normal concert but then with full audience and but it wasn't just a normal audience either they were so vocal and so enthusiastic after you know so long of not being able to go to concerts I had never seen that you know, I have never witnessed an audience, and it's the lifeblood, I'd say. It made me realise why you guys must do this day in, day out, why you would do it to that level. It kind of took my breath away, I think, because, yeah. you know, in fact, we've just been editing out too much cheering and applauding between movements. <laughs> Keep them quiet, will you? Keep it in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, this leads us nicely. I mean, you've kind of alluded to you, you, you're recording, you're still filming with a live audience. But what, what's in it now then, Nathan? What's the plan going forward? Are you still going to keep filming and making these amazing films? Or is it sort of back to business as we knew it pre, pre-COVID? Theoretically, and in conversations with David, you know, I say, look, we, we can't, what, what, we just can't go back. We can't go right back things have changed and so filming last week the first one with a full audience there were things that we did that we made sure that all the camera crew were sat in the orchestra so they're the same heights you don't notice I mean I know they're there and I'm trying to find them all you can barely see them at all wow again keeping that language that intimacy and building that craft of capturing those details are so important and I think we are at a place now where there's been progress and now we can apply that experimentation I mean I you know I worked on a project once and it was at the Barbican it was a Brian Eno um, project and he said you know with experimentation you know that's where you push as far as you can and then you come back to a more comfortable place and I think that comfortable place is really this hybrid place where we use some colour, a little bit of colour, just little, little accents of colour if we're motivated to do so, like the narrative of the music or if it makes sense to. But we've landed somewhere really chic and beautiful. And bearing in mind now, you know, there are so many players on stage that the shots look amazing because before, you know, it's quite empty, it's half full, yes. you can see the floor, you see the cables. Now it's full of people. All the players kind of connecting glancing at each other all the variations so what we lose in this pure experimental kind of chapter we had it you know it more than makes up for it with just the the audience and the amount of players on stage now it's funny nathan's chomping at the bit to do even more adventurous programs and the last few conversations have been actually once we've done a concert on stage can we just take it somewhere else and do something completely different with it and i that I find ridiculously exciting. Well, finally, David, I know to you, feedback from the audiences and sort of hearing how this content has moved people in music. What are some of the stories that you could share? And was there a particular performance or a particular film, should I say, that really grabbed the audiences out there in the world? I think we, we've had some really great feedback. It's, and from such a broad range of people. I remember there's, there's a guy who runs a CD or used to run a CD shop in, in Canada who would send me pages worth of notes after every single pro, uh, broadcast. Um, <laughs> which would, would just great that people are so engaged. Um, the Anna Klein 
piece really resonated. There was a lot of blue, I remember. I think that music suited the medium really well uh, and connected really well. I think there is, it's little moments. I, I remember a piece with was it the Limburg Cello Concerto and there was a beautiful bit of solo and then Nathan captured Christina, our principal cellist, just those little glance and a smile after a really tricky bit of playing. And it's those little moments that I think have meant a lot to people because that's what you don't get to see in a hall when you're sat in row double, double C or whatever. It's, um, uh, it's moments, I think, more than pieces. Beautiful. Well, I just got to say, I have really loved it as an audience member. So congratulations to you all in your different elements of bringing these films together. And it's been so nice to hear behind the scenes how it all came together and your plans for the future as well. Thank you, Kate, David and Nathan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Yolanda. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to David Burke, Nathan Prince and Kate Oswin for telling their stories of a locked down orchestra and what it means for the LPO going forward. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage where we'll be discussing the blending of different cultures in music. I can't wait. 